0: Well, it's my great joy to invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious word this morning to Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 14 we'll be down looking through the end of the book in verse 24 as you do that uh, I want to say a special uh, word of gratitude for all of you have been praying for me as I had a hip replacement surgery uh, the hip part has gone really really well uh the uh Getting sick as soon as the surgery was over hasn't gone so well. I've still got a little bit of cough and uh, I'm excited to be here today. It it is so hard not to be here. And uh, to be honest with you, if they had to wheel me in in a bed this morning, I'm going to preach this last sermon out of Ephesians. Uh, We have the pulpit and we have a backup plan, if I don't think I can make it through. But uh, I'll feel like a wimp if I can't make it through. So we're going to make it through up here, I think. Um, but I am thrilled to be here, and I'm thrilled to open up this text. in light of all that we have said this morning, this text is such a, a powerful challenge to us all. That is Ephesians chapter six verses 14 through 24. I want to invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of the perfect words of our sovereign God, and do so knowing that in the scripture and in the scripture alone, we know the true story of the world. Um, now, you don't need to turn to these places, but my Scripture reading today is not going to be out of the passage that we're looking at, which uh, talks about the armor of God. It's going to be selected Old Testament passages, which talk about the armor of God. In fact, more specifically, uh, there, are, there is a reference to what God is for His people, and that shows up in a lot of different passages. But all of the other references are specifically in context of the promised coming Messiah. The the one who would come as the Savior, the one who would fulfill all the promises of God. A depiction of the armor that He would have by which He would come and defeat the enemy of God on behalf of the people of God, and then by extension, he calls us to take up that armor ourselves. Listen in Isaiah 11, verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Isaiah 59, 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Genesis chapter 15 verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And then down in verse 6 it says... And he believed the Lord, and, it, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Psalm 91, verses 3 and 4. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pe- pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Isaiah 59, 17. And a helmet of salvation on his head. Isaiah 49, 17. Verse 2, He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand, He hid me. He made me a polished arrow, and His quivery hid me away. And then it goes on to say, He will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Join me in prayer. O Lord God Almighty, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your promises. We thank You for Messiah, the Anointed One, the King of kings, Jesus. We thank You, Lord, for the victory that He has won. And Lord, we pray that You help us to be faithful to King Jesus, that we would be loyal subjects in His name. And oh Lord, we pray that You would do it for Your glory and the eternal good of Your people to the ends of the earth, all the way to a new heavens, a new earth. We pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we tend, we tend to have a problem in the contemporary church in America, even in our conservative evangelical churches. And that is, there aren't very, very many people who live with a a keen awareness of the supernatural. We just don't think in those terms. In fact, many just simply functionally don't live as though they believe we are involved in the supernatural. We selectively sort of uh, often have ideas about uh, yes, we believe Jesus rose from the dead. Miraculous event. We believe Jesus did miracles. Miracles but we don't see our lives as embedded in this supernatural reality. We don't see our day-to-day lives as being a part of this this unseen kingdom, this unseen battle. Often we see ourselves as too sophisticated. Sophisticated. And when we talk about the supernatural, we rarely talk about the dark side of the supernatural. The idea of Satan or the devil is is sort of cartoonish. And we don't live with a sense of a palpable awareness of his being. The idea of demons and all of these sorts of things. We hear them, but they don't feel real to us on a day-to-day basis. We hear passages like Thomas preached last week. Ephesians six eleven 11-13, "...put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. For many of us, that sounds more like a video game than the reality of our day-to-day lives. You see, Ephesians has been calling us to reality. And reality involves this unseen realm and this awareness about what our lives are really embedded in in Christ. The supernatural and cosmic battle that we are a part of. But so often today, we see ourselves as too sophisticated for those sorts of things too sophisticated, too enlightened. And, and you know, I come to church and and I want to know these things because I want to live a better life. Give me things that will help me. Not all of this talk about devils and demons and supernatural. And we act as though Jesus Himself did not teach us to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What do you think He's talking about there? The evil, that's a reality in the world because there's the prince of the power of the air. That there is an evil one who desires the destruction of your souls. There are demons working in conjunction with the evil one. This is a reality and Jesus says, pray every day against it. Pray every day that the temptations of the tempter will not lead you into his evil ways. Pray every day that the accusations of the accuser will not control your heart and mind. But rather the reality of our Father who is in heaven. The one who gives us our daily bread. Lloyd-Jones, the famous preacher of another generation, said, I am certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All is attributed to us. We have all become so psychological in our attitude and thinking. We are ignorant of this great objective fact. The being, the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser, and his fiery darts. Now if he wrote that about 50 years ago and he thought that evangelicals at that time functioned without an acute awareness of the devil and his fiery darts, I can only imagine what he would write today. We see ourselves too often as above this sort of talk. This isn't practical enough. And in fact, it flies in the face of our desire to control if we're a part of something bigger than us, that seems like a loss of control. Well, I've got news for you. You need to lose control and b- abandon yourself to the only one who has control. And the one of whom it can be said, even the devil is his devil. God is sovereign, not the devil, but the devil is real. Demons are real. We live in the midst of this battle. Ephesians is trying to yell to us, you are a part of a cosmic reality. Something that involved eternity past and will involve eternity future. That the church's very existence is to be a part of this unseen spiritual battle that is a ra- raging. You see, the Christian life does not merely involve spiritual warfare. What Paul teaches, what the Bible teaches, is that the Christian life is spiritual warfare. Now, it is a dangerous thing to be in the midst of a war and not know that you're in the midst of a war. You are easy prey when that is the case. He tells us here that we're to become who we are in Christ. At the very beginning of the book, he just unfolds it all about what He has done for us in Christ, about what He has done in us, what He has done among us. This is just what He has done. And then He tells us we are to walk that out in our lives. We are to become who we are in Christ. And there's a new gospel unity that, that nobody from the outside understands that isn't trapped in in boundaries of, of class and, and race and ethnicity and uh, economic status. That there is a new gospel walk that we're called to that doesn't even make sense from the outside looking in. There is a humility that we are to live by. That is outrageous to those who have not been swept into this gospel message in Christ. And he also says there is a new gospel power. In chapter 2, verse 2, he talks about being apart from Christ and following the prince of the power of the air. In chapter 4, verse 27, He warns us to give no opportunity to the devil. In chapter 6, verse 11, He tells us to stand against the schemes of the devil. Is that the way you live your life? Is your prayer life marked by an acute awareness that you are in a battle? And much of that battle is thwarting the lies of, of the devil it's thwarting the accusations of the accuser who will tell us whatever lie he has to tell us to shake our confidence in the promises of god well if it's not it should be judy pointed out to me just the other day that That verse 12 where he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, comes right after he's talked about marriage, parenting, and relationships therein. And some of those relationships, uh, he speaks to the reality of how things are, not how things should be. And he calls us to live with an awareness there That the real battle in our marriages, in our parenting, and in our relationships is beyond those things. It's a spiritual battle. We're not fighting against those things. It's ultimately a, a, a wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against the temptations of the tempter, the accusations of the accuser, and the lies of the liar. always tell my children growing up, there's two things you don't do in my house. You don't disrespect my wife because I'm not worried about the fact she's your mother in that moment. She was my wife before she was your mother. And I protect my wife, and I'll protect my wife from your disrespect. And secondly, lying. Never are you more like Satan than when you lie. Don't do those things. And when you do those things, Remember how desperately you need Jesus. Here's the truth, brothers and sisters. We want and trust far too much in methods, programs, and tips, and self-help. And not enough in just plotting prayerfully along in this spiritual battle for Christ. Christ. We trust in those things that seem immediate and practical. And where we don't have to wade into all this sort of weird stuff like spiritual warfare and devils and demons. A part of your responsibility in the world is to be weird in Jesus' name. That's what Paul, Paul says. I am a fool for Christ's sake. I am... Thought a fool for Christ's sake and gladly so. The one who is in Christ is to check the sophistication at the door. We are not trying to be cool for Christ. We are abandoning ourselves to Christ even if it seems folly to everyone else in the world because the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of the world. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. You see, but here's the truth. In His sovereign grace, we have been provided all of the resources we need for spiritual victory. And by the way, I'll remind you that throughout this section, the yous are, second person plural, y'all. We are to see ourselves and take heart this message personally, but we are to understand that it is meant to be lived out corporately. We will not be who we need to be. We will not take up the armor of God in the way God would call us to do it without one another. But brothers and sisters, we are to take up the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter six verses 14 through 17. You know, it's very common to suggest here that um, Paul is a prisoner. He's been a prisoner a lot, and so he spent a lot of time looking at Roman soldiers. And and so he thought, you know, look at that Roman soldier outfit. That's a good metaphor to talk about what it means for the the Christian to put on the armor of God. No! No! This is not rooted in the get up of a Roman soldier. This is rooted in the promise of the Old Testament. This is all about the Messiah. Messiah. This is all about what God has done for us in Christ. When you look here and see that the believers' resources in light of the armor of the Roman soldier while he was in prison, that, that 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 it is not about that, but rather this is the armor of God. We often want to reverse it. Oh, this is the armor of God. This is what God said he was doing from the beginning. The promises are bound up in the armor that the Messiah possessed. After all, Psalm 24, 8, the Lord mighty in battle. Exodus fifteen, three: the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. But more specifically, this is all about the promised Messiah. And the message to us is so very clear. This is not a battle that we can win on our own. This is not one that that, that we can win on our own resources. We need spiritual and supernatural resources and brothers and sisters in Christ, we have them. But, But the beauty of it all, we don't just have them. Christ is outfitted in them. He wins the victory. So we know they are victorious, that it's victorious armor. And then He takes to those in Christ and says, here, put it on. Is that not so beautiful? Jesus in the wilderness defeating the temptations of the evil one because He is suited as the Messiah in the armor that would defeat the evil one. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then Jesus says, here, here's the armor. Each element of the armor is both a gift from God and an act of obedience to God as we take it up, as we receive it, as we appropriate it, as we declare by our actions that we know that we need it. First of all, in verse 14, the belt of truth. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, this is the third time he's called them to stand. This is a message for one who is in the midst of a battle. Stand, don't give ground, don't turn it away, face the enemy. You don't put on your armor in the midst of the battle, you put on it to go to battle. And the call here is that we are to realize that we are always in the midst of this cosmic battle. Even those days that seem the most mundane, the most ordinary, the most routine, we are swept into a cosmic battle. And the temptation we face on those days is just as dangerous as the temptation we face on what we think are the big moments. Because it's all woven together to attempt to tempt us away from the beauty and savor and wonder and glory of Christ. But this piece of armor is foundational. Having fastened on the belt of truth, having girded ourselves, the the long flowing robes would be picked up and tucked in so you could move better. You must be ready and fit for action. You must be stand ready with truth is the call here. But this is not the outer belt. The the belt is an inner garment here that, that holds the inner garments together. And it would have a, a a thick leather portion that would go down and protect the thighs and the, the, the private part areas. And, and and he's outfitted in such a way that, that the, these important parts are protected. And this is described as what, what is holding us together underneath. We are undergirded by truth. And that's at the foundation of it all. We are to live this new reality, understanding chapter 1, verse 13, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Chapter 4, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Chapter 4, verse 21, the truth as it is in Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 25, we are to speak the truth. We are to be people of the truth. The one who is the truth gives us his belt of truth, and he tells us to walk in truth. Puritan William Grenall, in his massive volumes on the armor of God says that Satan does not leave fang, mark, fang marks in your neck. He leaves lies on your heart. See, Satan wants you to believe what is not true. You know, one of our greatest challenges in fighting off the temptations of the evil one is that a lot of things we say are true and we, we would even point people in the direction that this is true. We just don't believe for ourselves. So many people. Who would somebody seeks them, comes to them for advice and they'd say, let's say they failed in something. And they say, I can't be a Christian because we point them to the gospel. Don't you know that Christ. Has delivered you, don't don't you know? But in their own lives, they can't believe it. There's some other standard that they've concocted for themselves. That is the lie of the devil that has to be repudiated in your own life. We have to preach to ourselves. I tell people in counseling all the time. What advice would you give someone who came to you with the problem that you're bringing to me? It's almost always great advice but the struggle is applying it to their own lives because the tempter is whispering lies in your ear. That's the other problem. People act like every thought that, is, that comes up in their head that they put there. Really? Now, temptation sometimes comes from outside of us. The devil is the tempter. And so when it comes, we just rebuke it. Martin Luther said he would feel that twang of judgment and Satan would tempt him to say, you can't be a Christian, you're such a sinner. And he said, my only uh, uh, right response was to say immediately, yeah, I am, what of it? But Christ died for sinners like me, which I can't say for you. What's he doing? Declaring truth in the face of the lies of the evil one. We are to take up the belt of truth. But secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Right out of Isaiah 59, talking about the Messiah. Being clothed with the breastplate of righteousness. This would protect the vital organs, particularly the heart and the lungs. The the righteousness that Christ provides us. His righteousness guards us against Satan's accusations but it also leads to our own growth in righteousness as we trust only in His righteousness to protect us, not our own. John Bunyan, in his allegory about the Gospel, Pilgrim's Progress, talks about Christian walking along and all of a sudden there is a foul fiend named Apollyon coming. And he says, I thought in a, the very instant I was afraid and I should turn and run, but I remembered at that moment that I had a breastplate of righteousness on the front, but nothing on the back. And that if I turn and run, I am doomed. So my best opportunity was to face him. It's right out of James 4 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. This past week, how have you been involved in resisting the devil? Knowing it's the devil. Rebuking the lies of the devil. Dismissing the accusations of the accuser. Don't let the liar, schemer, and a concu- accuser control you. Be controlled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. A part of that is rebuking the lies of the evil one. But far too often, we take every thought captive, period, and it controls us. And oftentimes, the thoughts that we are taking captive and holding on to are the lies of the evil one. Here's the way Satan works. You take food to a friend's house who is in need. And he says, why are you doing that? You just want people to know how good you are? You deliver it, you're driving home. What about those other people you didn't take anything to do? You took it to that one person because you thought they could do something for you. Well, it's, all, it's just such a fraud. I mean, there are more people to take it to. Why aren't you taking it to them? Don't you understand that the treadmill of lies of the evil one has no off button? He doesn't care what you do as long as you don't do it in Jesus' name. As long as you act like the world revolves around you. As long as you personalize every moment and evaluate every attitude and say, what does this say about you? And by the way, you can be in bondage as a do-gooder or as a do batter It doesn't matter. Just doing bad things, just giving in to everything, and you're in the bondage of all of that, not obeying Christ. But we can also do it as a do-gooder. We're just trying to earn this and earn that. And you'll never earn it. And you'll never feel like you're doing enough. And that will cause you to look at other people with an eye of, oh, are they ahead of me? Are they behind me? And, and all of this. And the gospel wrecking ball is to come in and just crush all of that. It says your hope is not in your do-gooding. Your hope is in what Christ has done for you. Embrace this breastplate of righteousness. Lean into it on a daily basis for you have no righteousness apart from it. There are also the shoes of gospel peace, Ephesians 6.15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness, that's a key word here, given by the gospel of peace, given by the good news that brings peace. Right out of Isaiah 52.7 here. That wonderful passage, it talks about beautiful are the feet who bring the good news, who publish the good tidings and declare your God reigns. Paul picks this up in Romans 10, 15. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Shoes for the feet. Secure foothold is necessary in battle. The ability to move Quickly is necessary in battle. The ability to advance in battle is very important. Feet being protected, but being protected in such a way that allows movement is very important. And he says here that these shoes mark the reality of the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This message we are to publish. The background here is that in, in, in warfare at this time when there aren't telecommunications... Where you don't go on the internet and see the war is over. Or you don't receive a text message and say the war is over. The way you find out the war is over is a messenger comes and declares to you that the war is over. So people would be looking at these running messengers trying to bring the message. And they could tell by their body language whether it was good news or Bad news. But oh, as you're looking out in the midst of battle, if, it, if it, he's walking with a, with a bounce in his step and a, a glint in his eye, you're saying, yes, what a beautiful sight that one is who's coming to bring us the good news that the battle is over and we now have peace. He says that is the way we are to all be. We are those who are in the midst of every situation. Have that bounce in our step. Have that glint in our eye. Because we have this good news of peace with God that comes through Jesus Christ. But also the shield of faith. Verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. See, the heart of Satan's attack is always on our faith. That's the issue at hand. We think the core uh, is on our circumstances. It's on our marriage. It's on our relationships. Those are are symptomatic things of the real problem. Satan wants to attack your faith. He wants you to doubt the promises of God. Here he says, there is no circumstance that does not demand faith. We know this from Paul in Romans 16.26. All obedience is the obedience of faith. All so-called obedience that is not an action being done in faith is not obedience. It may be even doing good. But unless it's been done in faith, it's not the obedience of faith. It's not what we're called to. This shield of faith here is not the little round Captain America shield. This is a four foot by two inch shield which people could jam together and forms almost a wall together. You could hide behind it. It is those for those who were in heavy combat and these fiery darts dipped in pitch and the, the, the flaming uh uh darts would come over and they would be extinguished on this shield that was often covered in leather that had been soaked in, in water and extinguished those flames. But we need to understand he's telling us here that we are always under the threat of sudden attack, of heavy combat. And together we must build a wall and block the fiery darts of the evil one. These sudden attacks come in all kinds of ways. Unbidden thoughts that He puts in our head. Thoughts of unworthiness and false guilt and self-importance and past sins and present fears and unthankfulness and violence and and, and harmful thoughts and, and doubt and all of those things that would paralyze us and keep us from being soldiers that are advancing. That we are called to rebuke and claim the truth because of faith, promises in the truth of God. God says, Genesis 15 1, Fear not, I am your shield. How does Abraham know that's true? Genesis 15 6, He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He had faith, he believed. We are to take up the shield of faith and extinguish these fiery darts. We don't take these fiery darts into our hearts. We do everything we can to rebuke them as quickly as possible, to mortify them, to put them to death, to rebuke them, to make a mockery of the liar and the accuser. But also the helmet of salvation. Ephesians 6.17 And take the helmet of salvation right out of Isaiah 59.17 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says, it is a, a helmet, the hope of salvation. Protect your head against wounds. And to chop off somebody's head, to crush somebody's head is a, is a fatal blow. He points us here to the importance of the mind to the Christian life. And, and yes, the importance of the daily intake of the Gospel. The, 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 uh, the helmet of salvation. We are to every day take this on to, to receive this gift afresh and anew in our hearts and our mind and our consciences. So we do things like memorize Ephesians 1, 3 through 3-14 and all kinds of other things. We preach the Gospel to ourselves every day. By the way, in Isaiah 42, it says, He made my mouth a sharp sword. And then in Isaiah 49, verse 6, that that, that mouth would bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Second half of verse 17, the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Psalm 119.11, store up God's Word in our hearts. Psalm 119.98, Your Word makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Brothers and sisters, when you and I yield our lives, when the Word of God dwells within us richly, we are wiser than our enemies. We are wiser than the evil one and his demons. That reality is a gift that He's given us. He's given us the sword of the Spirit. This is the offensive weapon, the weapon of attack. Often the best defense is a good offense. Jesus in the wilderness says, by the way, Satan preaches, does exposition of Bible verses. That's what he does to Jesus in temptations of the wilderness. He wants Jesus to claim the promises of God without going to the cross. He wants us to claim promises without taking up our cross and following Him. And Jesus meets His lies with the truth of the Scripture, with the sword of the Spirit. He defeats the evil one on our behalf. Consider how blessed we are that God outfits us with the Messiah's armor. Does that not delight you? Does that not empower you? Do you not realize what you've been given? Does that not make you want to shout with joy? I mean, in every situation, this guy writes from prison. And he's just overflowing with the fact that that I have the armor of God in prison. This, This prison cell is not stopping me from being one who has put on the armor of God, know the armor of God is fit for a moment like this, just like it was fit for a bloody cross. Does that not overwhelm you? You want to jump up and shout? We have all we need, all of Christ for all of us. That missionary, St. Patrick's Breastplate Prayer, said it like this. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, and Christ in the ear that hears me, covered and clothed in Christ. We have the messianic armor. Live like it. Finally. Finally. Verses 18-24. through 24. Be loyal messianic warriors. How do we put on and take up the armor of God? That word loyal means giving or showing firm and constant support our allegiance. How do we put on and take up the armor of God? How do we take what is true of us in Christ and appropriate it experientially? How do we take what is objectively true And make it become eternally true, internally true in our lives. Verse 18 and 19, actually, verse 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. The word means petitions, requesting, pleadings with urgency. That's the what. Praying at all times in the Spirit. In the Spirit means dependence on the Spirit who helps us in our weakness, like we read about in Romans 8, 26 and 27, where it says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with dependence on the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, making petitions. How do we do that? To that end, keep alert as soldiers with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, making petitions for all the saints. We pray with the church and we pray for the church. And then Paul says, pray for me. Verse 19. And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains. I love that phrase. An ambassador for Christ in chains. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He doesn't pray for freedom. He prays for boldness to preach the mystery of the gospel to these people who don't know it. That he may make it known to them. But he tells us that this is all to be done alert with, with perseverance or steadfastness. We are to be loyal Soldiers who serve King Jesus in His messianic armor. How do we appropriate the armor of God in our lives? We pray. We pray. Prayer is a declaration of our allegiance to our Messiah King. Prayer is not a part of the armor. It's the foundation of of how the armor is put on in our lives lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil we pray oh lord help me help me to put on the breastplate of righteousness today and quit looking to ourselves to myself to provide what you have provided oh lord I take up the helmet of salvation that I may rebuke the evil one when he attempts to confuse me and accuse me with his lies as though my salvation is based on my performance. We pray. It's so beautiful. We turn to Him. We show allegiance to Him. We are loyal to Him. Oh, Lord, as your messianic soldiers, we need you, our Messiah. You are the only reason we exist. You are the only reason we are outfitted. You are the only reason we have hope now and for eternity. You see, in Ephesians, theology always leads to doxology. Doxology always leads to prayer. See Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 and Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And prayer always leads ultimately to benediction. In prayer, we bring God's promises back to Him. We adore Him. We confess our sins. We come with thanksgiving. We intercede for others, but we are declaring our need of our great Savior and King. Verses 21 and 22, he talks about his friend Tychius, who was his trusted companion who obviously traveled with him and was taking the Gospel back to the churches in Ephesus and and he, he's worried that, that they would know how he was, and that their hearts would be encouraged and and uh, uh, Tycheus will tell you everything. But then in ephesians verses twenty three and twenty four, we see this. If you'll remember the very beginning of Ephesians is this this burst of doxology. Doxology just means praise to the glory of God. So Ephesians begins with a doxology of praise to the glory of God and it ends with a benediction an announcement of the blessings of God this brothers and sisters is the testimony of the church in this benediction we see those key words that we've seen throughout peace, love, faith, grace listen to it peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace be with all all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Oh, that, that word all so important in Ephesians. The oneness of the church. All meaning all. From all walks of life. All who are in Christ. We are one together because of grace. And therefore, there is a bond of love between us and the triune God that has brought us peace through faith. This benediction. Do, do you see it though? What, what I want you to get out of this is that every single bit of our lives for those who are in Christ is lived between doxology and benediction. All that difficult stuff, the Paul's imprisonment, all that stuff that we face is between doxology and benediction. Praise to the glory of God for who He is and what He has done for us. And then ultimately, a declaration of the blessings of God. We are the people that live sandwiched between doxology and benediction. And not just now, but forever. And one day, out of even the presence of the sin that we struggle with here and now, that sometimes blinds us to the doxology and blinds us to the benediction. But we as Messianic soldiers fight with the armor of God on to see it as it really is. No matter what we face, Our testimony now and forever in Christ is doxology. Praise be to the glory of God. And it is benediction. Blessings because of what God has done for us. If that doesn't lead you to clap, shout, want to get on your feet, you don't understand it. This is not a game. This stuff is... Life and death for eternity. And there is a devil and there are demons. But oh, Christ is above them all. Christ is above them all. And let me show you just one more thing. Maybe two. Okay, three. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. In love, He predestined us. The conclusion of the benediction. Grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Incorruptible? Enduring? Deathless love? Yes. How do we know it? Because in love, He predestined us. Therefore, we possess by His sovereign grace an incorruptible love. From eternity past to eternity future, a testimony of the love of God that bursts within a people who don't deserve it, an incorruptible love that will not be ev- vanquished in all of eternity. Those three things, I just added that third. This life, it's hard. It's supposed to be. It's a battle. But the victory ultimately has already been won. The armor that defeats the enemy has been granted to us. It's hard. It's supposed to be. Don't let being hard distract you from the fact that your testimony is doxology and benediction because of grace. Secondly, all you have is Christ in his church. But here's the good news that's all you need forever and ever. Third, doxology to benediction is our way of life, and it will be forever and ever. Read the last book. The last book is about doxology and benediction for a people who have been swept into a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no need for armor anymore. Only fellowship in the very presence of our Saviour. Until then, be Messianic soldiers. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, this passage is too much. And can it be? Lord, it is. Too much, but it is true. Oh Lord, help us to see that we we live in this cosmic battle. That there's an unseen reality that is to shape all of our seen. Because without the unseen, we will believe the wrong things about what we see. And we will be easy prey for the liar, for the schemer, for the adversary, for the accuser. But oh Lord, we praise You that in Christ we have all we need. And in His church we have all we need. And we thank You Lord that that is all we need. So Lord, Lord, I pray today for every person here to respond to the truth of Your Word. Some today will need to flee to Christ. they not know where they stand before You. These words about grace and faith are maybe sinking in by the work of the Spirit. There needs to be some clarity, and I pray that they would seek that clarity today. You may have saved in our very midst today someone for the first time, and we want to rejoice with them in it. But Lord, for all of us, Help us to put on the full armor of God and to be loyal Messianic soldiers now and forever. And we thank You and praise You. In Christ's name, Amen.